Welcome to the MRC Talks podcast. I'm Hasina Sakrani. In our 2019 Career Inspiration series, we're bringing you stories from 12 inspiring scientists who are working to improve lives through medical research. Each month, we talk to a different scientist to find out how they got there and what makes them tick. This month, Isabel Harding talks to Mark Scahill. He's the head of the Biological Mass Spectrometry and Protomics Laboratory at the MRC Laboratory of Molecular Biology in Cambridge, also known as the MRC LMB. I say this, it sounds rubbish, but embrace change. Don't see it as a negative. Um, see the positive in that and go, if you see an opportunity, take it. Mark provides scientists with state-of-the-art techniques to help them study biology. Only by studying our biology at a molecular level can scientists begin to understand how our bodies work when healthy, what goes wrong in disease, and how we might intervene to fix those disease pathways. A born scientist, thanks to his father's influence, Mark has found a job that allows him to play with big bits of equipment as well as do his own biomedical research. His expensive, high-tech instruments help fellow scientists identify proteins from complex biological mixtures. Mass spectrometry, or mass spec for short, is a sensitive technique used to detect, identify and measure molecules based on their mass-to-charge ratio. It uses high voltages to convert liquid solutions of proteins into ionised gases before passing them through an electric or magnetic field for analysis. This helps scientists determine the identity of proteins and how they might interact with each other inside our bodies. After A-levels, Mark decided not to take up a place at university to study physics. Instead, he worked in industry for three years at a local pharmaceutical company called SmithKline & French, now called GlaxoSmithKline. Moving on to do a degree in chemistry with biochemistry, he got his first taste of mass spec at the MRC LMB, where he did a PhD on the job. Always keen to develop and try something new, he moved back into industry for 10 years. Then, following a five-year stint at Cancer Research UK, he came back, full circle, to the LMB. His attitude of don't be afraid of change, embrace it, has served him well. The transferable skills he's learned during his career have allowed him to move between industry and academia, bringing different perspectives to both. His experience proves that you can move around and change paths at any point in your career. How do you describe your work to your friends and family? (laughs) I'm not sure I describe my work to my friends and family that much. (laughs) My brother and my father are both scientists, so I don't really have to describe it to them. Um, but I guess to the, the, the wider family, um, I identify and characterise proteins. Very briefly, can you give us a little potted summary of how you got to this point in your career? Um, so when I, when I left school, uh, I decided not to go to university uh, or into further education straight away. Um, and I went to work for SmithKline & French uh, in an analytical development lab. Um, and there I found I had a, a, an interest in, in analytical equipment. Um, and so I carried that forward. I went to university after that and, and after a few years, um, did a gr- degree in chemistry and biochemistry and 
when I'd finished that, uh, I took that sort of uh, interest into larger analytical equipment uh, and moved up here to Cambridge uh, in the old LMB um, to work with John Walker um, doing protein sequencing using uh, an automated Edmund sequencer to determine the, the sequence of proteins. Looking back, is there a moment when you knew that you wanted to be a scientist? Um, I think my path was plotted fairly early on, having been surrounded by science all my life. Um, my mother always likes to tell me that uh, um, at the age of five or six, my father had us pipetting Coca-Cola when we were in Burger King in North Carolina. Um, and then when I, was, when I was a little bit older, I used to go into on occasion into the lab on a on a Saturday um, my father worked on influenza um, and so it, and you grow influenza in eggs and so there were three people uh, one guy um, would punch holes in the eggs with a little bit like the finger prick uh, that you have now when you go to give a blood sample uh, at the doctors it pricks your finger well, this was a bit of a bigger scale and he'd punch two holes in the eggs my father would inject influenza virus and I'd cover the holes with with molten wax um, so I kind of thought I was a scientist from a very early age, but I wasn't, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow, so he trained you well, set you up for being a scientist very early. Uh, yeah, imprinted very early, I think. As my brother is a, is a scientist as well, we, we didn't fall far from the tree, I think. So your job involves working with big pieces of kit um, in labs. So we, we went into your lab earlier, it's buzzing with noise, you've got this low level of machines because there's so many there, all these flashing lights. Um, what's the most interesting bit of kit that you've worked with over your career? Interesting bit? Well, actually, the instrumentation now, I think it's evolved so far. The Orbitrack mass spectrometers are just, uh, I'm, they're phenomenally sensitive uh, for what we do in, in protein identification. Um, uh, and and the, the, the varied scope of, of the kind of experiments we can do with them, um, I, th I think they're, they're, the, they're the, the, the most exciting instruments I've, I've worked with. And going into a little bit more detail, what's, what's the point? Why do they matter? How do they help scientists do their work? Well, I mean, what, we, what we're using uh, the mass spectrometer to do is identify proteins and also uh, post-translational modifications of proteins with phosphate or, or, or glycans or, or, or other sumo, ubiquitin, things like this. So these are molecules that are added onto proteins yes. to change their function? Yes, yes. So you know, you, uh, a protein might be phosphorylated by kinase to activate it and, 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 and trigger a pathway. So, you know, we're, we're looking at, at that kind of thing. Um, we use them to look at uh, interacting proteins. So you might have a protein of interest, but proteins seldom work alone. So you can uh, use an antibody to pull that protein down and see what other proteins are interacting with that at a particular time. Um, so it, we're, it really helps you uh, understand pathways, protein-protein interactions, um, you can use it to look at different expression levels of proteins, so in disease, if one protein is up or down regulated, um, you can look at that in tissues or, or in plasma um, to get, get a feeling for, for how your proteome is changing uh, during a particular illness or, or something. So, Taking a step back, is there anything or anyone who inspires you to do your job? Inspirations, that's, that's a difficult question. I mean, you take inspiration from many different things. Events, hearing people talk, you know, just seeing the sunrise is, is kind of inspirational. Um, 
well, to be a bit trite, you've got to be inspired working in this place because it is fantastic. The, you know, uh, I, and I'm not going to say the building. The building is great, but that's not what inspires you. It's working with the people here, um, their drive and uh, and desire to, to for their science is 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 palpable, and and that kind of is quite inspiring. And and I've found that in in in. To be honest, in pretty much every place I've worked at, certainly at CRUK, at Clare Hall, which was tremendously, in, tremendously intense, small institute um, uh, looking at, at particular aspects, DNA damage and repair. Um, but everybody there was completely driven, and, and it, that was very inspiring. Um, of course, the one person that inspired me is my father. I, I mean, I think everybody would say that, but it's true, you know. I mean, I mean in awe of the man, always have been, and the, the, uh, he, he's... Uh, his his wisdom and an ability to see clearly through situations, I I have always been amazed by. So your career has taken you from working in pharmaceutical industries um, into research, and then um, into other industries. So you've worked for, for example, Smith Klein and French. Um, you came to the LMB. Techniques were on the rise, but then you felt that actually you wanted to give time to doing your own research. So you went back into industry. What would you say um, you've learned from transitioning between industry and research? I don't know whether I can, it's possible to separate them out like that, but kind of um, a pharmaceutical company mm. and a research institute. Mm -hmm. What have I learned? Um, well, I, I mean, personally, I enjoy both. So, I mean, in terms of a, a learning thing, I, at my time spent in industry or an academic lab, I've, en I've enjoyed both, uh, but they are different. So, you know, in, in an academic lab, you, you have freedom. You know, you've picked a subject that you're going to work on or you're in a lab that has a particular area that you either are interested in the first place or develop an interest in. And, and there's a focus on that and that's going to carry on for some time. And you can get really into the, the nitty gritty of a subject, if you like, with the freedom to do the kind of experiments and techniques that you think are appropriate. When you're working for a company, that's very much driven by you know what what that what that pharmaceutical company's goal is what targets they want to look at at the time things are much more packaged and 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 handed over but what what industry does very well is this business of team science or or, or big science or whatever you want to call it and you know bringing people with a tremendous amount of knowledge to bear on a particular subject you know there, there are whole departments of bioinformaticians of statisticians of cell biologists and it just drives things forward chemists it drives things forward really quickly um, and that is that is energizing actually to, to be involved in that kind of uh, situation yeah what would you say is the best career decision you've made to date so I guess every, every career decision I've made for me personally has worked out and has been a stepping stone to the next. My most fortunate, because I, I mean, all right, that my best decision was to work for Cancer Research UK, my move from uh, Glaxo uh, in 2007, beginning of 2007. And that was my uh, jump back into an academic lab, um, having been in industry for 10 years. Um, and, and I was, you know, it was it was a decision. I, you know, I was I was moving on from GSK because they were rationalising their whole um, research and development setup, and and proteomics at that time was uh, deemed to be a nice to have. They had enough targets that they wanted to work on, so <laughs> we were surplus to requirements as a department. Um, and so, you know, I was looking for something else. So, you know, that was um, 
uh, yeah, that was my best move. I, I moved to an, uh, a place where the science was phenomenal, the people were fantastic, and it, and it gave my career a real kick. And then on the more negative side, mm. can you think of an example where a time that you failed and how you've overcome that challenge? Hmm. Not necessarily negative, actually, because it's not a negative thing to fail. <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess if you look at that same situation, I don't think I'd failed up until that point. But I guess uh, as a, as a uh, as a technique, proteomics and therefore my part in proteomics at GSK had failed to inspire or or, or be something that people wanted to keep, um, or, or at least the proteomics that we were doing. And, and I guess we had moved latterly into what was called disease and biomarker proteomics, looking for biomarkers of disease in plasma, which was you know really needle in a haystack and it was it the right technique you know that that was very difficult and um you know i can potentially see how that that they could decide that that wasn't something they needed um i guess that that i that that would be the one time i think i uh, you know whether personally or collectively we failed to deliver on what we were doing and back to the more positive side (laughs) can you think of your proudest moment or, or a moment that you're proud of in your career scientifically So I think coming full circle in with the LMB is, is I don't know whether pride is the best thing, but satisfaction. Um, it was so, so my PhD w- with John Walker, another fantastic scientist, by the way, um, was, was looking at uh, identifying and determining the sequence of subunits of, of uh, bovine NADH dehydrogenase. Okay, so complex ones, easy to say. Okay, and what's the function of that? Uh, so it's the first enzyme in the respiratory chain. Okay, so it's 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 um so essential for keeping so it's us generating alive. What's called proteomotive force, which your body the ATPase then uses to generate ATP, which your body uses as as energy. Okay, um, within the mitochondria, um, and so we determined with the whole group. I wasn't the only one doing it, but the, the sequence of those subunits, and you know that was the first time that enzyme had been had been characterised, and then. After that, we started to move into, you know, John's group then was moving into crystallography, crystallizing the ATPase, which he got the Nobel Prize for, um, but also trying to crystallize complex one. And and we'd done, we'd spent some time doing that for a number of years, and, and I you know, personally wasn't getting anywhere with that. But then to come back to the LMB uh, in, in, in 2012, um, and re-established contacts with uh, a scientist called Leo Sazanoff, who's then in the mitochondrial biology unit, working on the ovine enzyme. Um, and he he had uh, he had a cryo structure, but needed to improve the resolution and 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 so on. And we sort of so we used the uh, the chemical cross-linking approach to to help identify some of the subunits. They have sort of a single transmembrane domain which spans the inner mitochondrial membrane and so we could use cross-linking to orientate those to which side they were pointed to the matrix or the inner membrane space or the or the inter okay you're making lots of gestures here about improving, showing me the membrane in the yeah. air. Anyway, orientated <laughs> them in the membrane so you could see which side they were on. Okay. okay, and what could what could they do with that that knowledge, knowing their orientation in in the, in the well, cell membrane? Well, then it allows you to, to to map the protein structure onto that and improve the resolution of of that cryom structure and better know how it functions. Well, I'm not sure we know yet how it absolutely functions. There are still people working on that, but you know now we know how it's organised, if you like. 
so that was yeah yeah actually coming full circle so have, having identified the primary sequence of the subunits and then being involved in in the crystal structure at the end was kind of seemed complete somehow that must be really exciting to see and it's over quite a long time period as well that you've had that gap and come back to it and it's having that presumably getting that experience elsewhere you've then come back to apply that experience to the yeah. same to this problem to yeah. understand it I better think, i think so i think that, that that's right to be able to come back and use and use an area of, of research that we want to develop on something that you know, yeah. somebody else was 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 needing. It's, it's satisfying. I think. Yeah. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, what one piece of advice would you give them? Don't worry. <laughs> Embrace. Em yeah. Yeah. I. I say this, it sounds rubbish, but embrace change. Don't see it as a negative. Um, see the positive in that and go, if you see an opportunity, take it, okay? And yeah, I, th I think that's why, don't, don't, wor don't worry so much about things changing, yeah. You've done a bit of work, or I think you're currently working on um, supporting technical careers. So giving advice to technicians, people who are working in technical disciplines. Can you mm. give a little summary of what you're working on there? Ah, so yeah, so this is um, a little bit sort of more MRC, MRC wide. And this is uh, with a guy called Tertius over in, in Harwell. Uh, the idea is to kind of sort of a career path development, um, career path development. And uh, yeah, sort of it, it's, it's essentially making sure that people continue um, getting recognition for the skills they have and recognizing that within, within the MRC. Um, so it's not necessarily upskilling, but it's it's sort of making sure people ha have some kind of um, progression in their learning, if you like, yeah. and recognition of that. Is there any overlap between your personal and scientific interests? No, <laughs> I don't think there are. I don't think there are. Um, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I've 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 always played in in a in a band, which okay. So maybe that did overlap. So uh, for for many years, I've played I've played in a function band, and my wife used to sing with us as well. What instrument do you play? So I play the trumpet and and the cornet, and and so we'd be out playing at things in uh, gigs in London, um, and I've always been very unable to uh, to drive past the lab without coming in so at, uh, at sort of two o'clock in the morning coming back from a gig we'd, we'd drop into the lab see what the protein sequencer was doing and change it if we could so I, I guess the two did overlap slightly in fact my wife could operate the instrument better than I could in the end <laughs> brilliant well I don't know if that's advice for someone but that's uh, interesting <laughs> to see the overlap thank you um, looking forward where do you see yourself in say five years time Yeah, that's kind of that's a real interview question. Isn't it? <laughs> Five years' time. Um, well, the, in terms of the lab, I think we'll be doing fairly uh, similar in terms of its setup. I I think instrumentation is developing so quickly that hopefully we'll we'll have uh, some new instrumentation that can allow us to do different things. But I, I think what we'll do is. Uh, it's, it's sort of continually developing and applying things. So it's difficult to say where you're going to be in five years. You know, there are new techniques coming along that we provide as a core facility um, on, on um, 
um, the quantitative side and, and the qualitative side of identification. So people see techniques, we bring it in. Uh, you know, John O'Neill at the moment is looking at a, at a technique um, and, and, and also Sean Monroe uh, called Lopit, which was developed by Catherine Lilly down at, uh, in the university in biochemistry. And so we're bringing that kind of uh, technique in how in-house so that that's constantly developing um in terms of the structural stuff uh, you know hd exchange is is fairly to be honest still fairly new although big pharma has taken it up for looking at antibodies i think we we're using it slightly differently to, to the way they are um and there's you know there's this constant need for development in the, in the way we analyze the data um in there and i think that's going to change over the next few years you know, and and your know, crosslinkers, the cross chemical crosslinkers we use now are not the same as they were three years ago when we started. You know, we now have these um, cleavable reagents, so uh, we can cleave them in the mass spectrometer rather than having to use an enzyme or a chemical to cleave. So presumably, that speeds up science so a lot. It, it does. It makes it makes the identification of that crosslink easier. Um, it's it's easier to detect a little modification rather than a branch peptide. Um, and so, you know, it's constantly things are developing. So, you know, as these new techniques come along, you know, you might jump and do something else that wasn't possible before. So it's, it's hard to say. Five years time, I hope to be here, but I think we'll be doing what we do, but better and slightly different. And I think probably that means working with scientists to get ideas from them and thinking about your science and how you want to progress it and then advancing the techniques right. to go alongside that. Yeah, well, that's, that, I mean, to be honest, that's how it works. You can't sit here in isolation, oh, I'm going to develop a new technique. That's not how it works. You know, it, you work with the, 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 the guys, the, the scientists here at the LMB and you know, potentially elsewhere, and they have a biological question. You, if you haven't got a biological question, what are you going to, you know, and, but that's what drive thing, drives things forward. You know, I, I, need, I need to do this. In my reach, I, I need to do this. And, you know, that, 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 that's what moves things forward. If you could sort out one major challenge in your field, what would it be? Mm. That's a difficult question. One major challenge. If you could wave a wand and say, great, we'll sort this out, done. Well, I mean, on a completely sort of technical level, actually the, uh, the, um, the amount of, of, of time it takes to analyze a HGX data uh, I think is 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 that's that's an area that we really need to to focus on in in that in that field. Um, you know, I th it's it's one of those techniques that will will burn people. You're only going to be able to do it for so long, and then you're just going to want to you know, put your head out of the window. It's 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 really very intensive, and um, and not that other techniques haven't been over the years, but this is this is really this is this is really time consuming. And I think sort of so com computationally, I think that's that that's that's an area that we could develop um, for for uh, HD exchange. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your career inspirations with me. Much appreciated. Okay. Thank you very much. Look out for more of Mark's work on our blog, mrc.ukri.org forward slash blog. For more information about biomedical career options, check out our map at mrc.ukri.org forward slash interactive framework. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Send us your feedback via Twitter at the underscore MRC or on Facebook where MRC comms. Tune in to our next episode to hear Professor Toby Jenkins share his journey of developing fluorescent infection-detecting wound dressings. This episode was produced by Isabel Harding and presented and edited by Hasina Sakrani. Thanks for listening.